and welcome to Tales from the Border. I'm Darren. I'm Nathan. I'm Chris. And I'm Rob. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss all things tabletop wargaming. Uh, board gaming. Board gaming. Skirmish gaming. Skirmish gaming. And all the other things yep. that you do on a tabletop. Chess. They involve dice. I should hasten to add. <laughs> all cards. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll, I'll scrap talking about Malifaux 3rd edition then. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, what in the world of gaming has everybody been doing recently? Uh, I've been uh, putting together some uh, Warhammer Underworld Warbounds. Uh, I recently got the, the last two to complete the, the current set. Um, so I've been putting together and um, half-painting the uh, uh, Gurzag's Iron Skulls and um, the Sepulchral Guard. Chris? I have actually done no tabletop gaming for at least a few weeks because I've been busy, but hopefully I'm going to be getting back into it soon. Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, apart from the, the woof up we've been doing. That's, yes, uh, our regular uh, woof up session, which uh, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more later as that's going to be our main talking point this evening. Okay, so I have been... Uh, uh, I actually cracked open... I know I said I was going to wait and do an unboxing video, but I, I just couldn't resist it. I... Uh, <laughs> Cracked out Mansions of Madness, uh, second edition, which I recently picked up at the UK Games Expo. Oh, cool. And uh, me and my wife sat down and played through the opening scenario of that just last night. Uh, it took an awful lot longer than you would expect, because I had to explain some very basic concepts of gaming to her. <laughs> she she was willing and enjoyed it, and uh, I think I actually may have got her into gaming now. That's pretty cool. Which is a bonus. But <laughs> yeah. in other matters... Um, How long? How many hours? Oh, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it, the the scenario is about hour and, hour to an hour and a half, and we took about two and a half or oh, something like that. So it was, it was pretty good. I think um, I think you're quite lucky because I, I tried to take um, my partner to uh, took her to Waterstones just to have a look at some of the the more mainstream board games, and I picked up Pandemic and said, "So, uh, would would you be interested in playing this at all?" And she looked at the box, looked at me, and said, "No, <laughs> no, not <laughs> at all." I, I'm sure that's exactly how she put it as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, so. <laughs> yes, but on uh, on my, my first impressions, uh, I can say that it's actually a very, very good game. The way it interacts with the app seems to be uh, really good, actually. Really fluid, and uh, you still feel like you're playing a board game, not just playing a game on your phone or your no. tablet, which is the main thing that concerned me. But actually, the, the scenarios run really smoothly, and it's quite a lot of fun. I quite look forward to uh, to getting you lot involved and uh, Having a run through of that sometimes. So which edition is it? Second. That's the second edition. Yeah. Oh, it comes with app. It's fully app into. Yeah, you can't run it without <coughs> the app now. It's uh, it's fully integrated. So the app effectively takes on the role of a GM. Do um, you remember? It's like uh, <coughs> we played XCOM, uh, Chris, uh, yes. a couple of um, years, years ago. ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I think the problem we found with XCOM was that uh, if you played it on a, a phone. Uh, or uh, a tablet that had a pretty poor battery life, you, yeah, you would run out of plugged in all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a problem. When and we, we didn't played, finish it. Either. Yeah, we played so, it at UAS where I didn't have a charger. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, we had to abandon about two hours, three hours in, I think. Yes. Yeah. We well, any, anything that you're running an app for that length of time, then you're going to want it plugged in yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's off. that's really changed. You know, mm-hmm. until battery technology gets to the point where it can get us to Mars and back, then. Uh, yeah. Then you're not going to be running apps for three hours yeah. solid without needing a plug. Because when we talked about atmosphere last week, where um, mm. with the video or DVD. Where... Oh yeah. Oh, classic. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah loving that. We should definitely run a classic, an atmosphere. Well, we talk about atmosphere. Absolutely. We talk about Hero Quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All those run sorts through. of classic games and uh, Space Hulk. Um, 
I've still got the boards for the space lock and the rules, but I've not got any of the models because they all disappeared into um, various Ether. armies that I've had <laughs> and have now sold or, or got we broken bits. Probably had to put something together that we yeah. can I've got, do that with. I've got which version of space lock? Uh, this is kind of uh, <coughs> mid '90s space lock. Oh, I've got the. Whatever, was it 2011 one or whatever it was? Oh, okay. yeah, that was the last. That was the last. Yeah, they haven't done it again since. No, no, that no, was, no. Yeah. That was that one that sold out instantly and nobody could get for a lot more money. Yeah. Where I walked in and was like, don't suppose you got any? Ha ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Can I have it? As long as people don't bring back any bits that are missing or something like that. I was like, mm-hmm, mine. <laughs> give me, give me, give me. <laughs> it's rather rare. Uh, so I was la- very lucky. Yeah, it's rather impressive. So I think the main thing we wanted to talk about today was uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Yeah, all yeah. editions. Yeah, well, obviously the, the latest edition, fourth edition, came out in 2018. Um, and we've been playing it for the past couple of months and really been enjoying it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been a bit of a nostalgia trip. Um, so we thought it would be interesting for the first podcast to talk about some of the things that might change. So like the magic systems, obviously the big thing that uh, gets overhauled every single time. Uh, but also the kind of career system, uh, that sort of thing. The newer editions, I'm, I'm, I'm going to unashamedly gush about them because I think they're probably some of the best of the ones produced. You know, obviously, first and second are very dearly held by many players, but I think this new third edition really does hold up to that standard. It's uh, And the quality that Cubicle 7 are putting out is you know, it, it's pretty up there. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with quality. The, the, the actual game itself and the books and the material they put out is just it looks amazing and you know it's um it's very evocative of the uh the kind of the warhammer fancy roleplay world and uh, the old world um yeah absolutely tons of uh, of really nice art yeah the maps in particular i think are pretty amazing yeah so they they did uh, release that as a an a3 i think or a2 uh, poster version yep uh, which promptly sold out immediately yep so I didn't get one, which I'm a bit miffed about. But I, I should have just sucked it up and pre-ordered it when it came out. Yeah. Isn't there uh, one supplement which is very hard to get hold of as well? I don't know. I haven't. I, um, I was just reading on some forums somewhere. Well, as of yet, the only supplement that's out is the starter set. Oh, is that all? It is? That's the only one that's that's physically out. Uh, the PDF form of Rough Nights and Hard Days uh, is already out, mm. um, but those are the only two so far. The, the next scheduled release will be The Enemy Within Campaign, uh, a rewrite with a new ending if you've played it before, or the traditional ending if you haven't. Both are available. Uh, completely finished off by the original author. Yes. I think, is it Graham Davis? Yeah. Yep. Me and a friend of mine went to uh, the uh, Warhammer Fest back in May. We were lucky enough to see a, uh, uh, a talk by the Cubicle 7 guys, uh, and they talked about how they had a... Uh, a special way of, of dealing with people that had played it back in the day, which, you know, if, if you're of a certain age, uh, like I am, you probably did. Um, and they, they called these grognards boxes. Um, basically, if uh, you played the campaign through before, uh, they would have a small box that says, okay, uh, if you're running this as a GM with somebody that's played it before, you could change some of the key characters, um, uh, change the names, change who had been, you know, who was who done it effectively in parts of the, the system, so that they would always be surprised. I mean, the obvious shape of the campaign would stay the same, um, but you would be surprised by who are the the individual sort of elements of it. Yeah, um, and it's then the, a refresh, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the final two books are actually being completely rewritten, um, uh, because the in the original campaign, 
the first three books were written by Graham Davis, and then the fourth and fifth were written by a different team. Um, so they've they've gotten Graham Davis back in to to finish the campaign off um, because the the last two books weren't quite as uh, well received as the first three by all accounts. So so maybe it might be a good idea to talk about some of the key features that kind of make up a Warhammer fantasy roleplay system. So I suppose the, the, the key thing that kind of differentiates it from something like uh, D&D is the... Uh, death. Grid- well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the ridiculous amount of death. Yes. Character yeah. death. <laughs> NPC death. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's that, that's fair. Just random in the middle of nowhere death. <laughs> and chaos. Yeah, those are the... <laughs> death and chaos, fair enough. But from a system point of view, <clears throat> what I'm thinking of is things like the career system. That is yeah. fairly unique to, to, to Warhammer. So uh, for people not familiar with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, uh, certainly 1st, 2nd and 4th edition, the uh, the idea is that you start off, start off in a particular career, so be that uh, Pit Fighter or Road Warden or um, Rat Catcher. Uh, and then you would progress uh, through a system of uh, career progressions to being a judicial champion or a, a wizard or a uh, priest. Um, so... But you were never fixed in that particular role. You could always easily switch out if you one day decided, well, actually, I've had enough of being a fighter sort of character. You can easily switch to being a wizard character. And there was no penalty for doing so, apart from you'd obviously lose the... Um, well, you wouldn't lose the XP you'd already spent, but you wouldn't be able to kind of use what you already learned in the next career. You'd still have those points assigned. So I think that's... Yeah, any any skills or talents kind of learned along the way, you, you remain... Yeah, um, but as you, as you move into a newer, if you went to a very different career class, then then yeah, you, you yeah, it just feels like, it just feels like a much more organic sort of multi-classing mechanic than say D and D, where it's literally like okay, well I'm a fighter for one level, then I'm going to be a mage for one level, then I'm going to be a thief for one level. Yeah, with Warhammer, you are kind of kind of shoehorned a bit in to the career paths and the the concept of the fact that this is your profession. I think uh, that's definitely true in first, second, and it's much more true in fourth. In that, once you're in a career path, you are st- not stuck because you can still get out of it. But it's definitely much more fixed in terms of if you play a priest character, you know you've got four different levels of priest to go mm-hmm. up. Um, but you can also go sideways. Yeah, point. instead of yeah, going up true. one, you can go sideways into one of the other uh, class ones. Yeah. So uh, a priest is. Um, courtier class i think is it so yeah so uh, well, 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 you could shift we, another way yeah well if we, we kind of talk about first edition basically the, all the classes there were there were basic and advanced classes and you started off in a basic and as soon as you met the requirements you could go up to a into an advanced career mm-hmm. in second edition there was a basic kind of an intermediate and an advanced sort of step so you'd have a a fairly basic starting character who would then move into a slightly more advanced character and then you'd move into a, a majorly powerful yeah. character yeah, it's more of a, a linear progression in, in yeah. that respect. And then it certainly fourth, made more sense than than as you, some of the DD examples you were giving. Yeah, and then in fourth edition, obviously, you've got this this idea that you are from a branch of a group of. Yeah, there are eight different classes, and within each class, there are eight different careers. Within each career, there are four, four different, different tiers. Yeah. So an academic class uh, could exchange from any level of academic to any level of any of the other academic careers. Just a quick reference would be an apothecary, an engineer, a lawyer, or a nun. No, physician, priest, and scholar are all academics. 
And wizard. And wizard, yeah. Now we move on to the next one. So of those eight, were you to be a third tier nun, which would be an abbess, you could move from a third tier nun to a third tier physician, should you choose. Yeah, it kind of doesn't make sense from <coughs> a role-playing point of view. Well, I mean, it, that's, this is the point. It gives, you, it gives you more options to actually in-game role-play that, which allows you the options to say, okay, so your nun is now in a situation where you are on the battlefield and you've set up a triage or something and, and moving into position because this is where we're going to be for a while is going to give you more of a realistic approach to what your career is, where in previous editions, if you were a judicial champion, shall we say, and all of a sudden you find yourself somewhere half the world away from where your job is, justifying how you can still be a judicial champion mm. when you are now working for some tyrannical lord desperately trying to spy on and infiltrate the courts of another lord. Yeah. It's, I, it's suddenly a very different thing that a judicial champion would not necessarily be doing. So, Yeah, I think, to be fair, that's the having careers... Is probably one. It's it's an interesting idea and allows the your, your player characters to basically pick and choose how they want to progress with their characters. But it doesn't make a lot of sense from a like say a career point of view when you're actually playing the game. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that was always that was always the the one kind of weird little foible I always found myself having to stumble over as a GM was was kind of justifying the career path that people wanted to play, even though that was nowhere near where the campaign was taking us. Yeah. Whereas I think in, in this new system in 4th edition, you've definitely got more freedom to to jump around to more appropriate careers and, and that more directly reflects the experiences that your characters are having rather than hmm. just spending six months on the battlefield yet still advancing your academic career. Yeah. As a, as a newbie sort of Warhammer player, how are you finding the system? Well, we I briefly remember playing... Second edition, uh, many years ago. Yeah, it was a while back. Yeah, uh, but fourth edition is very easy to pick up. Um, like you say, the uh, the classes and the careers, you know, very uh, easy to to get around. Uh, you can it gives you a good overview straight away about you know where that class can progress you, what sort of sort of you know other options you have. Um, you know, and if you do want to make it completely random, they do give you that option to... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's just, a uh, fun one, isn't it? Yeah, totally random get and restart. <laughs> see where it goes, you know. Um, but just playing the role play is very, uh, it's very easy and, you know, user-friendly, really. And I suppose it does give it a bit more flavour in terms of, instead of just being a fighter and, and having to basically fill in all the details yourself, you are, you know, like I say, you can be a pit fighter, you can be a... Uh, all sorts of different careers that give you a bit more flavour. Yeah, there's a lot of options to... If in the terms of, say, uh, D&D, obviously you've got very much set in stone sort of your, your fighters, you've got your warriors, you've got mages, sorcerers, thieves, they're all very much specific classes, where in this, like, you can be a lawyer. Yeah. You know, that's you know a completely different sort of a aspect of playing a role play is, you know, you're a lawyer, not how... When it comes to combat, you're not exactly going to be doing much, so no. it makes you have to think about more ways to deal with situations than like a D and D is, which you just you know charge, hit it, hit it, yeah, kill it. Cast which spell. you can very much do. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's still a very much a lot of that in in Wolfram, 
but you're probably going to die doing it. That's the difference. Yeah, I, think, I mean, if you're playing a purely academic character, then you have to find ways of, of benefiting I don't, the party. It's not even that. A, a purely combat character, you know, good 50-50 chance they're going to die. Well, yeah, that, that's woof for you, isn't it? <laughs> so, <clears throat> I remember one thing in second that we found a little bit of a problem was trying to fit into the story, gathering the trappings to move to the next level. Yeah, that was another aspect of the point I was making before. It's it's quite um, you, you're like rigid we doing... in the fact if you're if you're on a career path and, and you want to get to that next level, then you have to single mindedly do yes. that, which can often because was be a troll a big... slayer, giant slayer, and we let it go with killing a giant of a man just because it was like oh, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I've got to shoehorn a giant into the story, even though you've got all the XP and whatever you need to move up to the next mm-hmm. level. That, yeah. We found that a little bit of a problem. I, I, we haven't got to the point in fourth to get to that point yet. I think, I think the tracking um, system still is in it, but I don't think it's yeah. as specific. No, I think, no, it's very specific. It tells you what you need. And obviously that, that does shoehorn you into, right, either a shopping session mm-hmm. or a specific, you know, quest or journey to fetch, like yeah. a troll slayer still needs a troll's head. Yes, yes. And they still need the giant's head. Do they still need to? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, they need they're so, pretty much the same, actually. I mean, obviously... No. Of adjustments, but uh, your career path is still there. Um, I don't know if it necessarily dictates that you must have, uh, yeah, you know, slain a thing. But, uh, yeah, troll slayer. Yeah, giant slayer must have a troll's head. Yeah, in their in their trappings. But it depends, they don't have to kill it. Yeah, it depends well, how well, you are about maintaining <laughs> that. You know, yeah. if you want to be, if you if were we to have a troll slayer in uh, in our group at the moment, and they were clever enough to find a way of getting a troll's head without actually having to go. And Here's lots one, of money. I reward them for that. <laughs> To be fair, you know, if you are a troll slayer and then you want to progress to giant slayer and you don't kill a troll, you know, I'd be like, not really a giant slayer, are you? No, yeah, maybe you just want the reputation. Well, yeah, yeah, depends how how tightly you uh, adhere to that oath. Yes, yeah. If somebody role played to buying a troll's head just for that, I'd let them do it. Yeah, I was going to say if somebody was clever enough to find a way of, of doing it, devious enough to to come up with a way that they could justify just say, that, they just say troll's head. It doesn't say you mm-hmm. must have killed one. Yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah. I, but the thing about uh, that is, if anybody found out that you bought it from a shop, or you know, you found it, you know, <laughs> then you a, role play it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, would. you just kill them. Yeah. <laughs> but could you? It's much easier to kill guys? one of them. Yeah. Than Snitches kill the get troll. stitches. <laughs> No, no, don't get stitched up again. No, stitches <laughs> die. Stitches die in the river. Yes, stitches end up in ditches. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, this is what I'm fancy role playing. Yeah. You didn't kill him. Yeah. Chop. Yeah. So moving swiftly on to combat. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, how exactly would you go about killing that guy who was going to snitch on yeah, you for exactly. buying a troll's head? <laughs> yeah, move back. Move back to first edition. It's very much sort of a D100. If you if you roll underneath D100, you win, and you hit somebody. You roll damage. There you go. Um, second edition, very similar, except you've got this Oryx Fury, which is if you get a is it a ten on the damage? It was a ten on damage. You get to then roll you get to re-roll again. and potentially keep rolling until you fail yeah. your roll meaning you could score massive amounts of damage in one hit, uh, much to the annoyance of most GMs when their uh, single big boss bad guy at the end of a campaign gets one-shotted by yeah. a player character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. That's a bitter experience, isn't it, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> More than once. Yeah. More than once. <laughs> um, but in this one, they've they've dispensed with Orc's Fury, and uh, they've got the system uh, of advantage, whereas if you... 
succeed in an opposed role against a uh, uh, another person during combat, you gain an advantage point, and for each point of advantage you get, you get essentially plus ten to your roll. Exactly, your, your next roll. Your roll. The, the crux of the advantage rule is basically to an attempt to eliminate the problem that, that used to dog the combat systems of previous editions, uh, where you would basically spend a good half an hour with maybe ten rounds of combat. Just dancing around each other. Uh, whiffing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. As, as you, you're trying to roll under 32 to hit your opponent, you can roll all night and not get that right. Mm. And then they could do the same. You know, you're, you can dance around this skeleton till you get <laughs> almost as old as it is without anybody actually being effective in combat. The advantage mm. system means that because you're now making an opposed roll, even if you don't actually succeed in hitting... If you win the roll, you still get plus ten percent advantage for your next attack, which means you can very quickly ramp up enough success to to actually hit them, yeah, as opposed it, to just it dancing around. Stacks them. indefinitely, doesn't it? So. Well, until well, you lose an opposed roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are skills that mean you can. Yeah, there are lots of skills take. and talents that, that negate that or swap um, um, or get rid of it. Yeah. So there, there are ways of, of dealing with that, that so it doesn't become utterly unwieldy. Uh, I know that already at this point, with it, this system being out for a little over a year now, I think, isn't it? That a lot of GMs have, have come to a, a decision in group that they will only allow a maximum of three or six uh, advantage, simply because you can very, very quickly unleash an immortal god of a dwarf slayer yeah. if you've got that much advantage and vice versa it can happen the other way around if, if you know for you happen to come up against a particularly aggressive beastman in the woods or something that that might then rack up a, an unnatural amount of advantage and suddenly become an utterly unstoppable beastie yeah i don't think we've got to that stage yet we well, we haven't had that in in our little system because we've only realistically had two We've got up to serious combats. Yeah, we've got up to plus one hundred and forty once. Really, you got up to plus one hundred and forty. Yeah, that was that opening. uh, Opening encounter. Yes. Yeah. It's you. You've got the. Your character has the skill where you can steal it off them. Yes, uh, I can't remember what it's called exactly. Someone may have. But it's like still the advantage, shouldn't it? Yeah. And so you were plus one hundred and forty to hit or something Mm. like that. you know, you could still miss. I think a a, a hundred would still be a always always a miss. Yes. Yeah. Natural 96 plus is always, always a miss. Always, always a miss. So you, you have the, the same percent other end. chance to <clears throat> miss. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of GMs have, have started limiting the advantage number for exactly that reason. Um, but uh, once again, it's um, there's always you know the fact that another character outside of the combat can just shoot into the combat, which is an una- you know, it, there's there's no opposition to it. So you can if if you hit them, you can strip them of all of their advantage because you lose all your advantage if you take a wound. So. And obviously, surrounding is also yeah. Our numbering uh, really adds that up as well. There are lots of ways around that sort of system. Yeah. Um, I don't think it needs capping. I think it works. I think there's enough yeah. stuff and enough skills to be able to negate. Yeah, that. I don't I mean I, th- I know it, it happened in a, in basically the first combat we ran, but getting that much advantage racked up is, is a very rare yes occasion. Realistically, because normally three or four advantage is more than enough to be to oh, start yeah. wailing on them and doing some real damage. Mm. Yeah, in which case. Unless it's against a ridiculously uber baddie, just in general combat fights, that's uh, yeah, that's more than, than enough just to, to deal with your general rabble. Yeah, 
So combat has evolved slightly, but it is still essentially the yeah. same system. Yeah, it's still that yeah. same percentile system. Yeah. Uh, although, and now it is an opposed role, yeah. rather than previously where it was just a stat test. Yeah. Uh, so, that, so that's the main two differences. Yeah. And uh, magic. Well, we that's... haven't really come into to contact with magic yet. Yeah. Having a have, group of we don't have any magic users. Well, well, potentially five uh, well, yes. players. Yes. Now you remembered to look at what you can do. Well. <laughs> I, I bought the rule book and I read the priest rules. <laughs> I realised, oh, I can do something. <laughs> so, um, yes, uh, you're a buffer, aren't you? More than uh, yes, yeah, yeah. effectively. Yeah. But the the magic system has has changed. In first edition, uh, it was more sort of points based. We'd spend a certain number of points to to, to cast spells. Second edition, you had to roll a uh, make a channeling roll, and um, you would have to roll over a certain number of. Uh, a difficulty level to, to cast a spell. Yeah. Um, whereas this system, it's it's an opposed role against a particular stats, certainly for uh, priestly magic. Uh, and if you roll doubles, it's bad. And there's all sorts of perils of the chaos. Yeah. Table uh, Wrath of the Gods is yeah. uh, is the particular table that priests need to look out for. Yeah. Uh, the, the miscast table is basically the same thing uh, for the magics, but slightly more catastrophic. Yes. I mean, that's always been the case, I think, with Warhammer, is that priests were a little bit safer, um, but a little less powerful. And the mage users, or magic users, were very much more powerful. But if they had an unlucky uh, series of rolls, they could end up being sucked into the warp, uh, or summoning a greater demon of corn, or something equally catastrophic uh, right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah know, it's a, a higher risk, higher higher reward yeah. process with uh, with magic, certainly. And it's certainly not as um, reliable as, say, the D and D sort of Mancian magic system, where you know you cast a spell, it goes yeah, off. It's just a thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's not at all the Warhammer magic system. Yeah, well, D and D's obviously you still have to the 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 roll to hit your spell attack. Yeah, something. Um, but it, yeah, it does make it a little bit easier. Where you just you know Isn't your modifier can go up to you know something ridiculous. Where Isn't the D and D system much higher fantasy in terms of setting uh it depends on which campaign setting you're using but yeah yeah if you had to categorize them, you, know, mm. you know uh dnd is your classical high fantasy warhammer fantasy role players your, your low, fantasy low fantasy sort yeah. of um you know very much medieval fantasy based with a little bit of magic yeah and demons and chaos yeah <laughs> and madness, and madness and, yeah. yeah lovecraftian fantasy yes. i'd almost say I think yeah, those so are the major changes in between the editions, really. The, the, the combat system's a little bit different. It's tweaked a little bit. The career system's a little bit different. And the magic system's probably the only thing that's really evolved substantially over the, the, the editions, really. And well, it's the one thing they change most regularly. Yeah. And obviously, we, we've kind of, we, we have ignored third edition, which I don't know whether, that, don't know whether that's a mistake. I, I, I do think that potentially, I mean, you know, if we talk about who designed it, it's. Um, uh, chap called Jay Little, uh, who if anybody's played the X-Wing Miniatures game will recognise as the designer of that particular game so he certainly knows his stuff so I think it, it, it might be worth revisiting to see whether it, as a game on its own it holds up um, but it doesn't hold up as a Warhammer Fantasy roleplay game. Maybe if it had been an original setting it might have done better Yeah, yeah. I and mean, once again I don't, I don't think mechanically there was anything wrong with it uh, it just it didn't suit the needs of what I was doing with the group we were playing with at the time um, particularly well. Yeah. Especially because we had newbies as well and trying to teach them yeah. you know, 
role playing with a system we again weren't sure of and the dice rolling as opposed to you know oh this is a d20 or these are d10s it was mm. yes you've got bangs boons chits you've got like a little pack of your own stuff but we weren't even sure of it were we so trying to teach it was even worse so as you said switching back to second just seemed the yeah. right thing to do and it just it allowed the the campaign particularly to just to move on just to flow progress a bit, yeah. bit more smoothly mm. That, I mean, that's, that comes from our own lack of experience with the system rather than any yes. particular flaws with that system. It just suited our needs at the time. I think trying to teach, obviously, new people. Roleplay should be, obviously, more organic organic, and what comes from the, the player. If you've got too much board game-esque influences, yeah. you're going to get a less organic sort of gameplay. It's the same sort of thing with, uh, I feel, about combat. If you've got a nice map drawn out with grids and you're moving characters, that's more of a board game than it is of a role play. Like yes, they bring an aspect of realism and you can you know, you can even but have it's whole much layouts. less immersive, isn't it? Yeah, it, it takes you away from the whole fact of, you know, you're playing a role play where you have a sheet of player and then the rest is up to you. If you're saying, Oh you know, this yeah. square is five feet and I can move ten squares yeah. You can't hit it because your bow can only reach twenty five feet, and, yeah, yeah, and you're thirty or something like that. Yes, I understand. You know, and I think, I mean, it certainly using miniatures and, and maps certainly allows for for much more accurate tracking of yeah. combat, which um, which it does appeal to a lot of people. There's a huge oh yeah, therefore that sort of thing. But for, for what place. we tend to do, we're, uh, just purely pen and paper role play. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- to quote a horrifying line, but theatre of the mind kind of stuff. That's very Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, <laughs> it's all that kind of thing where where it is down to your imagination. And if if you can if you if you let yourself get into that scene, you can visualise roughly what's going on. As long as your GM's being descriptive enough and you're being descriptive enough with what you want to achieve, then you and your GM have roughly got the same idea. So these ideas of I want to do this thing you're rarely going to find the GM going like, well, no, you're the wrong end of the room for that. <laughs> so, you know. So in, in this case, uh, playing devil's advocate, do you need dice? Do you need all that sort of stuff if you're, if you're being more narrative in how you play the game? Well, the dice gives you the, gives you the random access yeah. kind of idea. I, I think it, what it, I'm getting at is, 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 is there is always like a continuum of, you know. Yes, you have to. So, you have to. Stick your peg somewhere, though, don't you? Yeah. Well, you got a, yeah. you got a sliding scale from let's just make everything up and and completely drama this whole thing to let's play chess mm. and and every role play game or you know tabletop game for for want of anything falls somewhere along that scale. Mm. So you have to you have to as I say you have to stick your peg in somewhere. And uh, for 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 me certainly, when I'm playing a what I perceive to be a pen and paper role play, where you you literally have a character sheet with some numbers on you just to give you some guidelines about what your character should be doing, and then a few phrases to describe the way your character thinks. You don't necessarily want to be held down by you know strict sort of maps because mm. I mean it's very difficult on a on a two D table to represent how somebody might scale a wall and, and vault over backwards and, uh, and stab somebody in the head as they go. Yeah, but the, the, the problem with that is you will describe something that you're doing and you'll say, ah, oh, well, I will, I will swing from the chandelier and I will attack the, the, the great demon of corn by landing on his back and sticking my thumb in his eye. And then you make the roll and you Bold fail. Decision. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but then you fail the roll and it's like, actually, I, I, I fall on my arse and 
but then but that's, that. that's where a lot of the humor comes from well yes no but it's it's how would you do that on the other scale where the gm could just go no you don't or yes you do mm. it's up completely up to the gm then which adds or takes away the randomness well, I know there, are, role there are some games where the the, the, the gm is, is kind of advised almost to, to, to never say no is to, is to you know if, if a player says I want to do this they say yes and, and then you work on yeah yes and or yes but mm. so that almost needs the dice then for the randomness for the well, okay the, I, the GM saying yes you may do this roll on it it's uh, not it's, I'm leaving it to the dice gods yes there is no but what, what I'm trying to say is is if you say yes and or yes but you mm. know you could say yes you do that but the greater demon now has you on its back. It just reaches over and, you know, rakes you on the back and throws you across the room. What next? You know, it leads on to something else. Uh, you know, that's a poor example because combat's not exactly the most... But when it comes to things... Yeah. But then how do you do things like damage without dice? Do you just have a set kind of like, oh, there is a being thrown against the wall damage chat? There is a... Like, no, drink. you wouldn't have a chat. You just literally, you'd be narratively guided You are by... now dead. Well, <laughs> you know, as a GM, that's, that's a dead end. You don't want a dead end in your campaign. So you no. would be more sort of, I think... Uh, it depends on the situation. Back. You were now in traction for six weeks. <laughs> yeah, so you, you, you attempt to vault off the wall, you, you get it slightly wrong and misjudge and actually place yourself directly in the greater demon's mouth. <laughs> it bites you in half, but I don't want to kill you. How do I get out of that? <laughs> the dice give you an, a degree of failure mm. or a degree of success, which allows you to work more fluidly in, into a yes I, I and... Situation. Uh, I, I think there are ways you can do it. There are. I mean, I'm not disputing the fact that they are. But yeah. Warhammer doesn't do that. You are forgetting one big, big point. Yes. People love rolling dice. That is true. I love rolling dice. <laughs> People <laughs> do <laughs> love rolling dice. They also love uh, uh, miniatures. Rob is just playing devil's advocate <laughs> for the purposes of this conversation. Yeah, I sort of. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm very, very keen on sort of diceless role playing, as I kind of talked about before. Um, and I do quite like the idea of more narratively driven sort of role playing experiences rather than being dictated to by dice. But I think dice, dice speed things up so the scope of your story can get a lot bigger. Whereas yeah. if you're down to the minutiae th- of describing every I little thing, I think you've thing. got to trust the group you're with a lot more if you don't use dice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think if you don't use dice, it's more telling a story as opposed to playing a game. Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure. I like it say, depends on the on the objective of what you're what you're doing and how structured it is yeah, in I, other I parts as to how we're you're talking. We were talking about fiasco before mm. we start recording. That the idea was that you you either narrate the the beginning of that particular scene or you narrate the end of the scene, and you take on the the risk of it being a a bad or a good ending. But even that and, has dice. Yeah, but you don't. Very, very, only right at the <laughs> yeah. end. Only right at the end. And you did the, the fun of the game, actually, when we every time we got to that particular part of the game, that was the most boring part of the game. It was. The, dice, it was. the end of the game was the most boring. Yeah. But the actual handing out of the, the... it was The dice act as a token in Fiasco. So when you're actually handing out the token, saying, right, okay, well, you have a bad ending in this particular scene, or you're giving a, a token to, away to another player and saying you want a good ending, that it, gives you that... Is it the gaming equivalent of, of a smiley face for doing well? Uh, no. Because <laughs> that's what it sounds so. like. I don't think so. <laughs> I think there are ways you can you can do it mechanically so that you're not, it's not literally, ah, I win. 
you know, in terms of narrating the game. So you can arbitrate it slightly and make it interesting. The thing I found with the fiasco was that it is stressful to play. When you're given your moment and it's like, mm. uh, 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 and you've got to think on the spot, if you're not that kind of player, yeah. you need dice as a safety blanket to fall back on. It's like, I want to do this. I'll describe it. Uh, 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 I want to stab him in the face and I run at him and I swing my sword. Uh, all right, roll. It, you know, you, yeah. people like that aren't going to be able to play something like Fiasco or think, are going to struggle. I think that, um, that, that kind of reminds me quite a lot of uh, one of my earlier role-playing uh, experiences, which was back in the days when we used to play Exalted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as, a, as a relatively new role-player at that point, the system at the, at the time, I'm not sure whether it still applies, but the GM was granted leeway to grant bonus dice for descriptive actions yep. in, in combat or any of your other things. So that gave you an incentive to be more creative in, and, and to actually picture what was going on, rather than just saying... I'm going to hit him with my sword. Which... That's technically a description. Happens all the time. Yeah, but I don't think any GM's going to give you a bonus dice no. for that one, is it? Oh, definitely not two. You know. But then I think there's, there's certain systems that, you know, are better for that type of roleplay. Mm. Like, yeah. the more descriptive roleplays, you know, do... You know, I think being more descriptive in, in Warhammer is a lot better than being... You don't need to be as descriptive in... Um, D&D because everything's scripted if you want, oh, you know, you make a roll to make a perception check, you make a roll to an attack, everything is it's all the D20 system, the D20 system is very much based around the dice mm. you can say what you want to do but you're more than likely going to roll against a stat to see if you can actually yeah, do it I suppose it. If, in that respect it's, it's a bit more abstracted from the story, isn't it? In yeah, fact that you, rather than playing the character you have taken control of the character and you decide what the character does and then you roll the dice to see what actually happens, happens. to the character. Whereas in Wolfrop, I think you feel like more like you are playing the character. It's also helpful that we know the setting. If you've played the tabletop, like Warhammer Fantasy, then you can almost be less descriptive, even as a GM, because it's like, okay, a greater demon of corn appears. Yes. And as a player, you know what that looks like. You don't need the description as such as if you would be playing, say, uh, D&D if you don't know the D&D setting. Yeah. Or random fantasy RPG A. You know, it's like, oh, well, this big, massive... That, uh, yeah, that's that's to do with the experience of the of the group rather than yes. the systems themselves, though, isn't it? That's, uh, yeah, but it's very much Workshop like, is very much a sort of a British institution. If you are a gamer of any stripe in the UK, you've heard of Games Workshop, you've seen a great Zeeman Corn, you yeah, know yeah. what that is. Um, and also with the Lord of the Rings films, people now know what orcs are, wizards are. You know, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's everyone knows. Yes, I mean, um, Wolfram and, and the Warhammer world, the, the old world as it used to stand before this whole Age of Sigmar malarkey, <laughs> it very much had a definitely independent sort of feel. It wasn't just a rip-off of the Lord of the Rings. Although, yeah, it's very much where it all started from. I was going to say, it's but very it much did... Lord of the Rings crossed with Monty Python. <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> I think that is the key takeaway from Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. It is a very tongue-in-cheek... I mean, some of the descriptions you, you, you gave us a couple of weeks ago of, you know, when you reached a certain tavern, you know, you gave a description of uh, the, the, the man behind the bar and he was doing various bits and bobs. And it's just, it's very much that Terry Pratchett Monty Python-esque, you know, uh, level of humour. 
Well, I think that, that probably reflects my humour more than it does the system. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I think Wolfram throughout the ages has been known as, as, a, as a very grim and dark system mm. where, uh, where everything can go horribly wrong very quickly. Um, I think it's darker than D&D. I mean, you can it's play a... D&D very darkly if you want to, but yeah. most people aren't there for that. No. I've heard a tale of, of people who are, who are D&D groups who've been playing you know, D&D for a few years, relatively new maybe, and then, then somebody suggests, oh, let's play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. It's a different system, but it's, you know, it's a bit grittier and it's a, you know, it's a bit more this, that and the other. And then within three sessions, one of the characters is dead already and half the group cries and leaves. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Characters don't die in D and D. It's just <laughs> oh yeah, if you really want to play, it's very difficult. Yeah, and I mean, it's still pretty hard yeah. to kill characters in in Wolfram with fate points these days and fortune points galore, <clears throat> and resilience points now in the new system as well. It, it's it's tough to actually kill a character, but I mean, I know in, in our particular little sessions, um, we haven't really come up against anything where anybody's been actively trying to kill you yet. No. Um, but that, that's all about to change. If you really, if you really want to scare D and D players, get them to play a World of Darkness system, and then they'll realise what a dark system is. Yeah, that's a that's a different thing entirely. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. If you're different kettle about... of fish. <clears throat> so, do we think the appeal of Warhammer's Roleplay is is nostalgia the, at this point? Um, I'd certainly, I wouldn't necessarily say nostalgia, but a. a a wealth of personal knowledge. I feel I understand the Warhammer world mm. better than I do any other system. D and D is so wide and variable. You can you can shoehorn any setting onto it, and it kind of works just as well. So anywhere from you know Baldur's Gate and the Underdark and all that, that sort mm. of things to you know absurd high fairy fantasy works just as well. Um, but you, you're never as acutely familiar with that setting as I feel I am with, with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And I think, you know, anyone who's got a good grounding in the Games Workshop's historical stuff, shall we say, rather than the current uh, situation, mm. certainly got, it's got more of a unique feel and a, and a, a familiarity without yeah. necessarily being purely nostalgia. Well, I mean, there's still a big element of it. I don't think it's helped it. by the fact that they're, they're releasing the enemy within campaign again. Well, once again, I mean, I think that's it was such a successful for money campaign. I, I know exactly, <laughs> why they're doing it. but that's kind of my point: is it, it sells because people are like, "Oh, I remember playing that." So it's 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 mm. you know it's, it's playing on people's very sort of lizard brains in like, oh, you know, it's it's not it's nostalgia. It's kind of you know recognition. People love what they know, though. Yeah. Like for example, if we were going to do a one shot. It would be one of the ones we reached for because everyone knows the setting. You don't need to explain much, and we know how to make characters or anything like this. You could just be like, "Boom, off you go." And I think there—it's not so much nostalgia; it's what we know. And as you said, we know the setting. We know, you know, the world. Yeah, we if don't. You're fully aware of what happens when you're on a darkened highway and you see a, you know, a lone horse with a. a fella in a big cape and a tricorn hat coming towards you, mm. you know, you probably see a pistol, you know it's a road warden you know you're in trouble <laughs> it's just, it's familiarity so, you know, for, for us it doesn't necessarily need the politics of the world explaining a great deal whereas some some systems where we, we've played before it can take 
a half a campaign before you even really understand what on earth it is you're doing. Yeah, but you've got to recognise that for somebody that's not from that particular background, this <laughs> is it's. This can be just as alien as, as exactly. other systems, absolutely. Um, I think it's simplistic enough because it's so heavily based on, on medieval Europe, mm. just with all the stuff they were scared about is actually real. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It is a very uh, easy system to pick up, obviously only playing for, for a couple of months now. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got... As most of the role plays, you have your base stats. You're rolling either against them or with them. The skills are pretty simple. They're explained well and might be your, your skill as a GM, but it was very easy to pick up. Yeah, so well, we, I, we, we I'm not going to take any credit for it. <laughs> but we <laughs> were The fine folks at Cubicle uh... 7 have spent long enough uh, working out how to make this thing work really nicely now. So, uh... I, so I certainly picked it up very quickly and you know was able to understand it and get along with it just from reading the book on the odd occasion so yeah yeah i think once again you only really need to to look into you know the, the stuff that your particularly character is going to be doing and then you've got a good enough understanding of how the mechanics work you can get your head around most situations pretty quickly the magic system is a little bit more complex because of the once again i mean the diversity of potential magic as well with the, the eight different laws and yeah not to mention the other ones beyond that um that could be a little bit more of a head scratcher. <laughs> we don't talk about the other house, the other uh, the other types of magic. I didn't, I didn't mention any names. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, but yeah I mean, for, for us, the, the magic system is, is a little bit uh, a little bit more distant because we don't actually have any magic users in our mm. in our system. So, oh, sorry, in our campaign. Mm. I think another thing why it might not be nostalgia is if people do want to get into Warhammer fancy roleplay and are completely new to it there is so much so or so many books out there that you can read there's so many it, it's not just the roleplay system you mm. can go to the tabletop system even if you don't want to play it just to find just to read background and a lot of say independent like roleplays will not have that they will have the core book and that is literally all the story you have mm. that is all the background you have whereas this has oh hundreds if not thousands of stories and books and you know descriptions and you know I, yeah I mean, history. the wealth of literature that's yeah. there well once again i'm just why I'm, I'm very glad that they did do at least this this edition of warfrop itself i know they they are doing the uh, the age of sigma they role are, play yeah. as well but the, the depth of history and all of the literature that's already out there for this setting specifically is is i don't know i always find that if there if there's a lot of stuff to read uh, it, that can be a potential barrier. Uh, but it's not necessary reading. Uh, the, the necessary reading to pick up this system, realistically, is about 10 pages of mechanics hmm. and then a little bit more about career fluff. If you if you just wanted, as, as Nathan was just saying, the, the, the gateway to entry on this is very light compared to some systems. I mean, like when we talk about uh, like Vampire the Masquerade, that's relatively simple. You can pick that one up, but when you start getting into mage and things like that, the the, the barrier to entry yeah. is a is a four hundred page book. I suppose what I'm trying to get at is that the <laughs> with with D and D, it's a very much simpler system, much more elegant system that's been play tested a lot more. There there have been complaints online that the system for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Fourth Edition is not as good as it could be. Um, it's not quite as balanced. The magic doesn't work as well as it might. 
Um, so, well, it depends, that want... depends on on what you consider working well. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but from our point of view, Warhammer and Roleplay has always been a system where magic is a powerful thing that can bite you in the backside. Yes. Um, and a lot of people don't like that. You know, they want the magic to work reliably and well and be powerful. And Play D and D then. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that, <laughs> that's, that's kind of my point is that. If you if you want to play a, a fantasy role playing game that is has this reliable element and you don't have to learn this law, why would you pick Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay over D and D? If if you're not familiar with the law, you're not familiar with it as a as a as a property. What makes it great? Why would people want to buy it or you play it over and above, say, Middle Earth role playing? Or I think mechanically it's simpler than. Yeah, but I, I don't know whether it's, that's I don't know whether it's, point. it's not necessarily simpler, but it, it's a different system mm. than D and D and its D twenty based system. I don't really know whether one's simpler or the other. I think in terms of the amount of rules, D and D, while at its core it seems simpler, when you get into it, it becomes infinitely more complicated. I know fifth ed these days is is a lot more streamlined than it used to be, so mm. perhaps that's not quite the same balance. But we've never really played a lot in fifth ed. No, three point five is the best. <laughs> yeah. For me, I think, regardless of the, of the mechanics of the system, you get into Wolfrup mm. because you want darker fantasy. Yeah, you're just a sicko, really. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> how many? Uh, how many orphaned children did you pick up because you you failed to save their parents in session one? Well, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where is he right now? I don't know. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know. You you can throw in a you know much more mature themes. You can do it much more adultly. You can throw in your Discworld Monty Python humour, mm. uh, just to lighten the load a bit. But at the end of the day, the setting itself is a lot grimmer. Yeah. Because it says on the cover. That is true. It's <laughs> grim worlds. <laughs> and it, it always has done. Yeah. And I think for me, that's is the that thing. Yeah. If if you're interested in more fancy setting, then you're going to be well served by this particular edition. I mean, I'd, it's not necessarily being specifically interested in the setting itself. Mm. It's just that the tone of the setting yeah. is very different to to what your average D and D session is going to be. Yeah, I'd, I'd, or I mean, but then once again, it's if you like, it, it's kind of it's dark fantasy. It's mm. dark high fantasy. There are darker role plays out there, as we've said, like Vampire the Masquerade could be pretty damn horrifying mm. if you wanted it to be. But at the same time, it can be a slapstick idiot fest, <laughs> just like any game. Listening in on other, <laughs> other sessions. <laughs> yeah, we start dark and get slapstick. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Okay, I mean, I think that's it's a reasonable thing to say. It's it it, it will please a lot of people because of what it is. Because it's it is quite nostalgic. It is quite simple. I think it is a grim, gritty setting. Um, and I think if you want all those things in the one package, then yeah, it's it's it is a grand system to to to, to play. I, I'm still not convinced that it's. Would you recommend it to a first timer? Well, that's that would be no. I don't think. Yeah, again, I'm not sure whether, whether I would as a, as an introductory setting. I'm not sure. For somebody who knows nothing about Warhammer, I'm not sure. Mm. Well, there, there's well, I mean, the, that's but if somebody's perfect, played the tabletop, millions. Proof of this mm. is it, at the moment we're currently playing through as our part of our group 
although I've I've laced some other plot lines into it, but we are playing through the the newly released starter set. And although we're using our own generated characters as opposed to the pregens, the a lot of the settings, a lot of the scenarios, and the humour, especially that's involved, is all the the pre-written stuff. I mean, what what my own plot line that I've threaded through it hasn't really come up that much. Most of what we've been doing has been straight out of the book stuff. So, how do we feel about that exact scenario as a starter set? Do we feel that that would be a good introduction to somebody who's who's never played a role-playing game before? Yeah, I, I'd say yes. As our as our newest player, it, that, that's a bonus. Sure, that's a, <laughs> that's an endorsement right there. It, um, it leads you easily in to a, for a start. Mm-hmm. You know, the material you're obviously given is you know it's quite wide. You you you've got a choice of what to do straight off the bat. And, you know, it gives you the little taste of combat. Because I think that's a big thing about if you don't... Combat is a big thing in most role plays. If you don't like the way it works... These type of role plays. These type of role plays, yes. It's not the end and end, like, everything. But if you don't like it or you don't get on with it or you don't understand it, that role play isn't for you. Mm. Like You'll know from the first combat whether you're going to like this role player or not. And I found it very easy to get straight into. It was, you know, easy to understand and um, easy to see how dead you can be very quickly, <laughs> um, which gives it, you know, a, a bit more depth to than the likes of D&D, where even level one, it's very difficult to die, you know, whereas this... Yeah, you, you definitely got a very much more prominent risk of death. Yeah. It's quite clear to see by the fact that, you know, when you're doing character creation and, and you ask, what's this about fate points? Mm. And you explain that that's, that's how you avoid dying very quickly. It, <laughs> it becomes quite clear from a very early stage that it's, it's a lethal game. Mm. Mm. So what would your introductory roleplay be to a complete newbie who'd never roleplayed ever before, didn't know Warhammer system, literally just person off the street? Uh, what, would you do this or would you do, uh, as, as you're saying, Vampire the Masquerade, D&D? I think it would be D&D. other. Well, for me, based purely on my own experience, experience of the system, I, I know this system. That you know, I'm still learning the new variation. I'm still learning fourth head, but the, the mechanically and, and thematically, I know the system. So I would automatically opt for this. As if I was going to take a brand new group of players through a role play, this is what I would be doing. But once again, that's my own bias. I'm not mm-hmm. going to pretend that, that that's necessarily the best system to introduce people to. But once again, you have to imagine the fact that if there are a bunch of people that I knew who were asking me to run them through their very first game, they're going to be as dark as I am. <laughs> and they're going to enjoy the fact that somebody's going to lose a limb in the first session. So, you know, that's... Mm. What about you, Rob? What would you pick? Um, I think I'd probably go with... This is going to be controversial, but the fighting fantasy books... I see where you're coming from there. Yeah, because it's yeah. it's simple. They can take them away. They can have a read of them. If they get it and they like it, I there's more of it there. Yeah. I didn't even consider that, to be honest. I, I, it, yeah. It's because it's so I didn't simple. read around the question. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, <laughs> but we've done some of them. I'm sure we've well, definitely done. Well, and, and that's the thing. It's got a progression to kind of an advanced fighting fantasy. Yeah. And then you can go on to a grim and perilous world of adventure in one fantasy role play. Yeah, you can then go into D&D, you could do the Lone Wolf sort of adventures. 
you know, for me, that's that's the perfect sort of starting place because it's so easy. It's so low sort of um, risk. From you go left or you go right. There's yeah, no... exactly. <laughs> I, I kind of... Um... I, I had assumed that the, the people <laughs> who were getting into a table would have perhaps already done those sort of things. I, in yeah, I can do things like that. Well, so I probably didn't re- listen to the detail of the question. <laughs> that's I, well, there's no right answer. That's the yeah. Thing, you know. to, to come from to come from yeah. absolutely no history of mm. anything to do with with any kind of game and, and, with and, agency. Then yes, absolutely. Those but then those, 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 those books would not work for somebody that do, does not care for sort of high fantasy sword and sorcery sort of games anyway so that might be that might put some people off so like there's no right answer i think it's just i'm I'm probably saying that because that's how i got into role playing (laughs) well we've we've all played a choose your own adventure book exactly yeah yeah absolutely i mean the steve jackson books were were my things no all right, well, you haven't lived. Somebody's got them somewhere, haven't we? I've got a complete set of them. I've got Cavern's of the Snow Witch by my bedside. <laughs> Brilliant. I was, I was going to read it the other day, so I'll still... bring it for you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, no, just tell me that one. Death Trap Dungeon. Death Trap Dungeon everywhere. That's the ultimate. Death Trap Dungeon, is it? That is literally 101 fantasy role playing, isn't it? It's not the first book, is it? No, Fire Top Mountain, of course. No, that's the one I've got, yeah. I'll lend you that. You haven't lived. What was going on? I saw something recently. I forget what it was, but somebody's making something out of those again. Well, somebody's you can, remaking you those stories into. There, there are already apps on on, the, on your phone you can get that you can play. Which is that? Oh, is that? That's, that's probably so what it is. Yeah. Somebody's making those app games. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. Actually, but, yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd I had a Sonic the Hedgehog one. Yeah, and a Crystal Maze one. Really? Yeah, awesome. I've still got. I had a Nightmare one. As in, yeah, anyway. they were big so, in the nineties. Yeah. So, what would you be? Advocating for them, Chris. Again, going for what I know, D and D. If they wanted a fantasy setting, or um, Vampire the Masquerade, if not, if if you wanted a modern setting, because I think Vampire the Masquerade is pretty. Uh, it's dark, but you can. It's if, very. If, they, if you've got a mature the, the group, concept of the world, yeah. If, if you've got a mature enough, group, concept you basically just explain to them it's this: the world you're in, but slightly darker. The things that everything you've heard about vampires or werewolves, it's true, and you are just. One of those guys, and from then on, you can. And the whole point is that you start off as a nothing. Okay, I, there's, there's, a, there's one flaw in that plan, though. What? Because everything they've heard about vampires tells them that they sparkle, <laughs> and that does not happen in the world of dark. I did say mature people. Uh, yes, <laughs> I think we might want to leave it there. Nathan, what would you advocate as a, as a first off? Uh, again, what setting they would enjoy? Obviously, fantasy has become. A lot more mainstream, the likes of Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so D and is a perfect one for that. Um, I've played Traveller. Now I certainly wouldn't suggest that for the first time. <laughs> Very good system, obviously more space if you're into mm-hmm. that. But a lot to learn for the straight off, especially for the person that's going to be running the sessions. The, the book's just massive, and the amount of things you can do with it is just obscene. Mm-hmm. Um, Personally, my first introduction to anything sort of role play was uh, the board game Talisman. Okay, that's a good one. Classic. And yeah. I think if you like fantasy but you have never done role play, some of the board games can be an easy way in. And so then Hero Quest. Hero yeah, Quest. I was thinking Hero Quest would be a perfect gateway game. Yeah, and then from so there you just, tent. <laughs> you just easy, easy way in. <laughs> um, I, I played Talisman countless times with countless expansions and then one yeah, day yeah. it was sort of like oh why don't we just try this and that yeah. was 3.5 D&D 
<laughs> and he's also, very young. <laughs> Game, Games Workshop really missed a trick there, then, if you went from, from their product to D&D. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> Probably in that period between 2006 and Yeah, where they didn't have any supporting products yeah, exactly. in there. Oh, what a blunder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so should we call that a day? I think we should. Should we wrap it up in an in a, in a, in official manner? Okay, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we have been Tales from the Border. Yep. We'll be back next week with more in-name chapter. Yeah.